this is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, where Pastor Michael and I have already done the chit-chat for 15 minutes, so we're going to get right into the episode. Isn't that right, Pastor Michael? That's right. We've had plenty of time to talk about everything from Bitcoin to what we're going to be talking about today. We're we're all caught up. We're all caught up. We just left you out of it today. And so the reason we did so is because we actually have a guest joining us and we're excited for Tony Arsenal is with us today. Tony graduated from Garden Conwell Theological Seminary uh, with a master's degree in church history and theology. He lives and worships in Canaan, New Hampshire with his wife, Ashley. He's a deacon. He does pulpit supply. And you probably know him as one of the co-hosts of the Reformed Brotherhood podcast. He's also founded the Society of Reformed Podcaster and blogs for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals at placefortruth.org. Tony, welcome to Restless. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. We are glad you're here. Glad to have one of the hosts of the Reform Brotherhood with us, where we hear right now, we can tune in to hear you talking about a great reset. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. Right now we are working through the book Reset. Uh, There's some sort of pun in the title where the S is capitalized that I I haven't quite gotten to what that exactly is, but uh, it's by David Murray. It's a real practical book. Jesse and I, uh, Jesse's my brother-in-law and co-host. We like to do book studies because it means we don't have to plan our podcasts as much because we just have like an outline built for us. Uh, but th- this book's great. It, it's just super practical. It's, it's a little different than what we usually do. But after a year of pandemic living, it's nice to have a little bit of a, a look at how to de-stress and how to kind of get your, get your mind and body and spirit kind of reset back to a neutral space. So you can move forward. Yeah, well, that's reset great. in the middle of the great reset. Perfect. Yes. That's great podcasting advice for us as we attempt to build our podcast back (laughs) better. So, well, we're happy to have you today and just hear about your story of becoming reformed and hear more about the Society of Reformed Podcasters today. Uh, Tony, so why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I actually grew up not in the church. Um, I didn't come to um, reform theology through sort of this quote unquote standard channels um, for most of the people who are familiar with your show or the people who are tuning in because they're curious about this, this new Calvinism thing. I, um, I actually grew up um, not going to church. So when I was real young, you know, four or five years old, my uh, family was a part of a Lutheran church. You guys are from the Midwest. I'm from Minneapolis. There's Lutheran churches everywhere and everybody's a Lutheran. So there wasn't any real solid faith commitment um, in my family. It was just kind of what we did. And um, I'm not exert, you know, I don't know all of the details, but there was a church riff conflict of some sort. And my mom was just not having any of it. And so from the time I was about six to the time that I was uh, probably about 14, Um, I just wasn't involved in church. I wasn't antagonistic towards the faith. I wasn't, you know, any particularly grave sinner. Um, I just wasn't, it just wasn't part of my life. And when I was maybe 13 or 14, a couple of my friends from school were starting to get involved in their respective churches. Um, one of them was a Baptist. So he's, he was involved in like Awana and, and Bible camp. One of them was part of a Lutheran church. So he was starting to get involved in confirmation and I was invited actually to join my, my friend James on a bicycle trip to go play soccer. And then when I got to the soccer game, uh, he was like, surprise, it's Bible study. 
and we were on bikes. So what was I going to do? I couldn't like turn around and bike home you know, nine miles or whatever it was by <laughs> myself. Um, and he's like, but don't worry, we're going to play soccer after Bible study. And most of the time, you know, I wish that I could say like the Holy Spirit descended and I was speaking in tongues and, and all of that. Uh, but really what happened was there was a girl there that I thought was pretty cute. And I thought I could get to know her a little better if I, if I also went to this confirmation thing. And uh, so I joined up and part of the requirements for this confirmation process was attending a certain number of like youth conferences or summer like camp experiences. They wanted you to have kind of these experiential moments, um, which I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it was actually probably a good thing to, to sort of force people to participate in these sort of high impact events. Um, and to be fair to that church, there was lots of good Bible teaching, lots of good um, kind of day in day out ministry going on that supplemented that. Um, and that was definitely not the most important thing, but they did think it was important. And mm -hmm. I went to a youth conference called acquire the fire, uh, which was one of those big kind wow. of Billy Graham, you know, Charles oh, Finney yeah. style revival things. And, um, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was doing it to impress a girl, uh, that same <laughs> girl actually. And, um, the next morning when I woke up, I, I sort of suddenly realized that I, the things that I normally thought were okay, the language I would use, the way that I would think about girls in particular, the jokes that I used to think were funny, all of a sudden I just didn't really think, I, I, like I was kind of disgusted by them all of a sudden. I didn't, mm. I didn't have the theological framework to understand what was going on. But looking back at it, it was pretty clear that God had regenerated me and that my faith commitment, even though I didn't understand what I was doing, that that repentance was genuine. Um, and, and so the Holy Spirit used that event and those, um, those sinful impulses to then, uh, bring something out of it, which I, you know, I think more often than not is actually what happens. So yeah. flash forward, you know, maybe four or five years, I'm going to college and I, I started to realize I went to, um, a small school called Bethel university, which is right in Minneapolis. It's a, a liberal arts Christian school. And I was doing a, initially a youth ministry degree. And then I was going on, uh, and I had, stopped doing that. And I went on to a biblical studies degree there. I started to realize that the theology that I held, although I had certain things in common with my, the Lutheran church that I was still a part of, the theology that I held didn't fit in quite the same way as most other people's. Um, and so as I started to study theology, I remember real distinctly, I was in intro to theology class, uh, which I was a transfer student. So I was a little older than the rest of the class, but the teacher started talking about, you know, this is what Arminianism is. This is what Calvinism is. And she said, all right, everybody in the room who, who thinks you're an Arminian, raise your hand. And the entire room's hand went up and, and she said, okay, anybody think they're a Calvinist? And she kind of said it like a joke because this was a general Baptist school. You know, it was very Arminian in theology. And I kind of sheepishly, maybe not so sheepishly, maybe I was already in my cage stage and didn't know it, but I kind of <laughs> sheepishly raised my hand. I said, I think that's what I believe. So flash forward another couple of years, I started listening to podcasts, you know, I'm listening to initially things like RC Sproul, Whitehorse Inn. Um, and then I get into, uh, you know, this period of time right after I graduated from school, but before I started seminary and I, I find this show called the reform forum and I started listening to it. And I realized that this Westminster confession of faith thing that they're talking about, that, that, that just describes what I believe. Like I, I didn't think there was anything groundbreaking or revolutionary about it. So as I started to read the Westminster Confession, you know, there was still some of the things I had been taught in my Lutheran days, which it was kind of a weird Lutheran dispensational church, uh, Lutheran Pentecostal dispensational megachurch. Um, there was some hangovers from that that took a little while to sort of 
fall out of, out of the way. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I remember writing a paper in college that was very dispensational, a very dispensational take on the book of revelation. Um, but as I studied the Westminster confession, and then, and I got, as I got into seminary and I, I read Calvin's institutes for the first time, I was sort of struck time and time again. And, and it's hard to say this without sounding almost a little arrogant, but I, I was unsurprised by what these people were saying. It was like, this just, it, this is just what the Bible teaches. And I realized that I was independently from my own independently in air quotes, nothing we do in theology is ever truly independent, but independently from reading the classic reform sources, which I hadn't done, I had come to all the same conclusions that these classic reform sources had come to. And I actually still run into that where I hold a position that I'm not exactly hundred percent sure where it comes from. But then as I start to dig into the Westminster Shorter Catechism or whatever it is I'm looking at, I realize like, oh yeah, they were already there, you know, 300 years ago. So through the process of this though, as I'm coming into this understanding of what the Bible teaches and I'm starting to separate myself theologically, although not institutionally from places like my former church and, and my, you know, my, um, my college, I'm separating theologically from them. I'm starting to hear about people like Matt Chandler. And I grew up in Minneapolis and I I had only ever heard the name John Piper, Um, but I'm starting to hear about these. And as people learn about my theology and they start to understand that I'm reformed or a Calvinist, they start to be like, oh yeah, like John Piper. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess I don't know much about John Piper, but I'll listen to a couple of sermons. And, you know, it's funny because I think those of us who either are coming out of this new Calvinism or, or the rare bird like me, who I think never really was part of it, but was sort of in, in around it. I think sometimes we have a tendency to look at some of those um, people that were part of it and sort of chuckle like, Oh yeah, that's just Matt Chandler. But I'll, I'll never forget the first time someone said, yeah, you got to check out this Matt Chandler guy. I think you probably really like him." And the first sermon series I ever heard him preach was called the great cause. And it's one of the finest um, sermon series I've ever heard that is just a, a sort of basic starting with total depravity and working its way through God's sovereign election and sovereign regeneration and sovereign salvation. It's one of the finest sermon series I've ever heard. I still go back and listen to that sermon series mm. every year because of how good it is just in terms of really good, solid, biblical reformed-ish preaching. There's obviously a lot more that comes on top of what it means to be reformed, and we'll, we'll get to that. But that sermon, what there's nothing wrong with that sermon series. There's zero things that I would change or criticize about that um, in terms of the, the theology he presents. Yeah. And so I'm starting to hear about these other figures. And then I, I get involved in the Reform Pub, and uh, you know, I'm listening to the Reform Pubcast. Uh, you know, eventually I became an admin in the reform pub and I did that for a couple of years. And so I'm a strange figure. I don't know if I want to call myself a figure. I'm a strange person in that I was involved in a lot of these ref- like young reform restless things, but I was never really part of the young reform restless movement, or at least I didn't, I didn't come into reform theology through those channels. Um, and right, I think until like you, oh, oh sorry, I was, I was just going to say until you mentioned John Piper, yeah, you are obviously um, a. An, we're having another first time with a guest on the show. Oh man! You explained your testimony and entrance into the Reformed faith without referencing a single major uh, r- young restless Reformed thing. Yeah, yeah, I had I had never heard of any of those people. The the, the closest thing to a young restless Reformed 
figure that I ever had any interaction with until after I got to seminary and after I had already started to understand that I already believed this theology that that was, you know, 300 years old and, and started with John Calvin was that I used to listen to RC Sproul on the radio when I was driving home from work. And sure. that was it. And, and it's funny because I remember, I remember hearing him and at times being really frustrated because I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't seem like what the Bible teaches. And when I look back at it, the things that I picked out that I was like, yeah, that's a little sideways are the, the, the few things that, um, that, uh, R.C. Sproul departs from the classic reformed faith on. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't need to get into that. It wasn't a, a central yeah. part of my faith, but uh, that was the closest I ever came to this young, restless reformed thing until I got into seminary and started getting involved in, like I said, the reform pub and listening to more of the sort of reformed reformed podcast 2.0 that I think, you, you know, your show, my show, we're all kind of these descendants of the reform pub cast in a number of ways. Um, until I started getting involved in that, I had never really heard of most of these people. Um, and it's yeah. funny because what I did know about John Piper was that he and Greg Boyd were both professors at my college before I was there <laughs> and that the, the school turned into a battleground and people drew up battle lines. And in a lot of ways, we weren't able to talk about things like Calvinism without sort of this chuckle in the background because of what that conflict had done to the school and really the whole area in Minneapolis. So my impressions of John Piper were never, and still, if I'm being really honest, still are not particularly positive um, because I sort of saw his ministry on the ground in Minneapolis and just didn't think it was really all that uh, beneficial to the way that I, I thought church should go. John Piper and his defenders, we love you. Love to have you on. Yes. Have you on the show sometime? Love to have uh, you on the show. No, I, I think, and I think it is interesting and striking that, you know, one of the main ways you started to come in contact with the new Calvinists was because people were like, "Oh yeah, you're like all of them, right?" They're identifying you right. as you must be with all of them because you're saying the same kinds of things they say that I don't agree with, and so, you know, it must be a derivative, um, even though, obviously this is the thing that the confessional uh, reformed guys have always been annoyed with the new Calvinist for, <laughs> Hey, we've been here for a very long time, right? right. Whether it be yep. RC Sproul, even with his idiosyncrasies, the reform forum has obviously existed a long time. The confessional denominations have obviously in various forms existed since the founding of the, of the American colonies. Right. And so there has been, there have been ways to access it. And obviously it's, it's biblical teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, one, one of the things that I think when I when I first became aware of your show and, and started listening to it that I think is so important right now is I used to think that um, other than, you know, I thought I was kind of this weird exception, but I used to think that there was this progression of development. And, and I think it was because uh, I don't say this to, to be sort of like grandiose, but I think that the reform pub as a Facebook group and the reform pubcast as a, a podcast is so much bigger of a historical thing in the young restless reform movement. And actually I think represent, and I, I, I still talk to most of the admins. I'm still good friends with most of them. I've got no, I'm not a part of it anymore, but I've got no, no ill feelings towards the pub or the pubcast or less or any of that. But I, I'm starting to realize that show, you know, if you listen to that backlog, you see this journey of Les and Tanner going from just total raging cage stage, young, restless reform Calvinists to like 
and I say this with, with love, I, I, I haven't talked to Tanner in a while, but I love Tanner to death, sort of crotchety old Scottish Presbyterian at the yeah. end of this, you know, and, and Les is right there too, like hardcore regulative principle, you know, I think Tanner is like exclusive psalmody acapella only, like you see this progression out of, out of the Young Restless movement into a robust, like really, really historic confessional theology. And that's a microcosm that then mm-hmm. everyone who's listening to the show sort of follows along on that journey and the reform pub as a whole follows along on that journey. I think it's much bigger. It'd be really interesting for you guys to do a show. I think you totally should really looking at, I think what I should do is I should get a hold of like Sarah Koenig from Serial and have her do like a deep dive historical narrative podcast on the reform podcast. But yeah, I think, absolutely. I think it's such a bigger deal in the reformed, um, movement the young restless reform movement and kind of what's going on now than anybody realized um and so being a part of that i thought that this was just the natural progression of things and that i just was the oddball out who didn't do it that way but i'm starting to realize largely through your show young reform restless theology is not just a, a, an early stage of development of confessional reform theology. It, mm. it shares affinities. There's things that overlap for sure, but it very much is its own theological thing with very distinct yeah. things that, that mark it apart and set it apart from, uh, from classic reform theology. And right. actually uh, the hermeneutic of reform, young restless reform theology, new Calvinism is totally different than the historic reformed um, hermeneutic. And that's why I think in some particular areas it comes to such different conclusions mm, yeah yeah for many i mean like us this was a stepping stone toward a more confessional more robust reform theology and i know when we had so we had les on the show uh i don't know how long ago now a couple months ago maybe and he basically said yeah like the the story arc of the reform pubcast is us moving right. from you know this kind of new cage stage all the way to a more confessional spot and that was kind of like this this uh you know picture of of what that movement was like uh but one of the reasons that we even decided to start this show in the first place was because we happen to have a lot of different contacts that we know whether in person or online uh who like they stepped onto the yrr new calvinism and then they stopped right and we want to say no come on like come join us like uh the way i often have been talking about you know uh, new calvinism in general is like, you know, you've been living out in the garage of Christianity. And then you find out that there's like, you can open this door and you walk into a mud room and it's like slightly heated. And you're like, wait a minute, there's more than like what was out here. And you come into the mud room and you're like, no way. And you're trying to tell everybody in the garage, you need to get in here. There's like a, there's like a whole nother room in here. And then we're standing at the other door and saying, Hey, guess what? There's a whole house come on in. Like there's tons of rooms and there's a dining room and there's a fridge full of food and there's places you can sleep. And like, this will affect the whole of your life, not just these small little areas. Come on in, enjoy. And they're like, no, we got to make sure everybody knows there's a mud room. Right. And it's like, no, there's, come on, like, keep, keep coming. There's so much more for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And, and, you know, it really is true. And that's, you know, this phenomenon of the cage stage, if I, if I had gumption to do like another, another set of college degrees, um, I, I would do a sociology degree just specifically to look at this, imp- this, this phenomena even more, mm-hmm. because it, it's, although the young restless reform movement is in many ways kind of petered out and we're sort of, it sort of, isn't really got, got any vitality to it. The after effects of it are still really there. And, and the people who 
sort of stalled out. Like I said, I, I'm convinced now that it's it's a totally distinct theological movement, but it's undeniable that there is a clear kind of logical progression mm-hmm. um, that goes that people go through on their way to reform theology if they came in, you know, evangelicalism, young reform restless, which is just sort of like evangelicalism with like a shot of Calvinism. And then now all of a sudden you get to like a full reform confessional theology. It's a clear progression, but I think what happens with a lot of these people that stalled out and, and, you know, it's based on this movement and this energy and this youth culture. and, And now, now that a lot of that is, is sort of died out, they're almost like orphans. Like they don't know where to go and they don't know how to get there. And that's why I think shows like this are so important is because we still need to be able to give a pathway to people who want to continue to grow. Maybe people will think this is arrogant to say, and, and I guess I don't care, but reform theology is the most biblical fullest expression of Christian theology. There is, it, it, it simply is. And we would be doing the rest of the Christian world. And especially those who are kind of like one foot in the door, we'd be doing a terrible disservice if we just left them there. And, and I think, you know, I, I have lots of friends online that are Lutherans and Baptists and, and, you know, my wife's a Baptist. I'm part of a Baptist church. I've got no hate for reformed Baptists, but, but if we were to leave people in that space, right, leave them in the garage and not tell them that there's a full house where they can come and have a feast and sleep and enjoy each other's company, then like, that's sort of a form of hatred that I don't think that we should do. So when we, when we look at where things are in, in the world of reformed theology and the, the YIR orbit, there's a lot of people that are just sort of like stranded out there and don't know how to get to where they're going next. Yeah. I think that was one of the big takeaways from the interview we did with Brad Vermerlin, where he discussed that when I asked, like, is new Calvinism gone? He said, yeah, but there are a lot of new Calvinists left, right? Mm-hmm. The movement is kind of gone. And he did, of course, say there are people who could do a lot of work on it now. I will say for me personally, Form Pub, I'd love you. I'd love to be your Sarah Koenig for you. I just don't <laughs> know if you can afford me. But I, I think, you know, another thing that has kind of occurred is for a lot of folks, you know, it's it's always interesting because, and this is why I'm sure that the idea of the sociology of these things would be interesting to you is because for a number of the people, it's, you know, I'm, I'm coming, I'm becoming convinced of this. And maybe even they are beginning to read or listen to more robust, more thoroughgoing reformed theology. And then it's like, yeah, but I still go to my evangelical church. And, right. and, and, I, and I'm obviously, and I know, I'm sure everyone here would be, we're, we do not want to, we don't want to be like, yeah, get out of your church. Right. 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 And so there become these other pressures where it's, I guess it's just going to be reformed theology in my heart. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to, but I'm going to go to the church where, it's it's maybe it's a good church and it's just not reformed. Maybe it's an okay church and I don't, you know. Um, but I think that that becomes a factor for a lot of people. And so it's it's interesting to me that you know you are founding the uh, Society of Reformed Podcasters, as as you said, you're kind of a derivative of these pubcast things, right. which which I totally agree that there was a lot more going on there than just a person saying, ah, oh, there was a Facebook group and two guys who talked about beer. So what are, what are you trying to do with that? Can you just tell us about that? Yeah. So the Society of Reform Podcasters started out as a way for, at the time it was just three shows. It was the Reform Brotherhood, Fast God Stuff, and then a show called The Reformed Outlook. And it was a way for us to collaborate on resources, collaborate on ideas. I was looking at other, other 
podcast networks, not so much in the reformed world. Um, you know, the reformed podcast had a network, but they, they never did anything with it. And I was looking at it saying, you know, some of the, some of the principles that we understand in terms of how the church functions best in terms of partnerships with other churches, sharing resources, um, engaging and encouraging each other. Some of those things are just good common grace principles that aren't, aren't unique to the church. And so we started this initially as just a way to share, share those resources and to encourage each other. You know, we went back and forth on, on names for quite a long time. And where we settled was that this isn't, this isn't a network of podcasts. It's a, it's a network of podcasters. And so there are people in the podcast, in, in the Society of Reformed Podcasters that don't have active shows anymore, that aren't actually mm-hmm. podcasting anymore. Um, you know, people who've either, their show is, is just sort of faded out, which, you know, something like 70% of podcasts um, just stop publishing and, and there's never like an announcement that it's done. They just don't do it anymore. Um, there's people in there who are on so, like support staff kind of people for the podcast. People do audio engineering that aren't actually on the mics. And so as we, as this grew, um, the other thing that I found is it's really, really hard sometimes when you're looking through, you know, I think the last numbers, there's like 1.5 million podcasts. It's really hard to find a podcast that is good, like just from a technical perspective, and then to find a podcast that's good. And then also is a solid sound doctrinally reformed podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look up the word reformed in, in iTunes and you're going to find, you're going to find the mainstay podcasts, but there's all these other little podcasts that pop up that have really great things to say that didn't have a good way to get their voice out because mm. getting your podcast out there can be really difficult. And so I think the primary function right now of the society of reform podcasters is almost like a word of mouth, uh, kind of network where once you come into the network, then all of the other shows, we all listen to each other's shows. We, we make recommendations about, oh yeah, I was, I was listening to Distilling Theology the, the other day, or we, you, know, you might be talking with one of our evangelical friends who hasn't quite come to the understanding of the gifts of the spirit that we believe is biblical. And so you could say, well, yeah, well, Blake and Justin on the Distilling Theology podcast did a whole episode on cessationism and they were really fair about it. So if you want to listen to a good resource that explains my perspective, here you go. So I think right now that's kind of where we're at because there are so many, there's so many bad podcasts out there. And so we're trying to, we're trying to curate a collection of really good doctrinally sound podcasts that don't just live in this really, really niche reformed world, right? I'm, I'm Presbyterian by conviction. So, you know, like reform forum is a show of, it's a network of a bunch of Presbyterians making podcasts, Mm -hmm. right? We wanted to be something broader than that. And the other thing is, you know, I actually really think that one of the things that's missing in the church is robust Christian dialogue among laypersons. You know, there's not a lot of theological discourse or theological reflection that happens, but, you know, between laypersons, even, even in the reformed world, you know, most, most Christians, even reformed Christians go to church on Sunday and they, they do, maybe they do family worship or they, you know, they read their Bible in the morning, but it's not really like a conversation piece on a regular basis for the majority of Christians in the world. And so part of what we're trying to do too, is to, to demonstrate how to do theology in this way publicly. So we have shows mm-hmm. that have, are, that are pastors or are more, you know, more formal in nature, but most of our shows are just lay people talking about theology. And, you know, I try to model it with, with my show 
sometimes we have to talk about controversial subjects. Sometimes we have to say controversial things, but we should be able to say those things in ways that are still winsome and aren't, aren't uh, intentionally offensive, intentionally aggressive. We should be able to say even controversial things. Like I compared not wearing a mask if you know that you could hurt somebody to an abortion argument. Like it's, it's, it's a, there's some very similar arguments that are being made. Not everybody makes that argument, but we should be able to say those in a way and, and do that kind of conversation in a way that displays Christian charity, Christian love and kindness, even if we're saying things that are, are controversial or difficult to say. So I think that's really kind of what we're trying to do is to foster this almost like a safe podcasting space for you to listen to where, you know, you're going to get good content. You know, that it's, it's easy to find it's doctrinally sound it's rooted in the historic confessions and, and it's available pretty much anytime you want it. Hmm. How many shows are on the society? How many active shows is maybe a better way to put it. Yeah. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I don't even know. I I think there's 12, (laughs) there's 12 shows that are formally a part of the um, society. You know, I always, I always thought that I was going to do some sort of like rules about how often you had to publish, but you know, life, life gets crazy and busy. And, and so right now I think there's 12 shows that we syndicate uh, maybe 13 now. Um, Most of them are pretty active. There's a few that have kind of faded out. Uh, my brother-in-law, Jesse, does a, a show with the former lead singer and guitar player from Goaty Hook. His name is Conrad. And um, it's called Fast God Stuff. Uh, it's totally hilarious. It's an awesome podcast, but it has such a high production value that they're only able to ep- release an episode like once every couple of months. But but those episodes are awesome when they come out. There's a couple, you know, a, a lot of our guys are, are seminarians or Bible college students. So, you know, their, their show output ebbs and flows along with the, the academic calendar. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and so some of the shows are very regular. I don't think Jesse and I have missed a show in like 228 episodes or something like that. Distilling theology is very regular, but right now we have 12 shows. It's a range of, of theological perspectives within the historic reformed uh, tradition. And, and I, I, you know, I, I'm intentionally defining reformed a little bit broader for the purposes of the network than even I personally would define it for, mm. for my own purposes. So we would, we kind of look at the reformed theological world as being uh, Catholic. So ecumenical creeds, Trinity, right. Just Christian um, being um, oh, my brain just left me Catholic uh, covenantal. Right. So, mm. so we don't, we don't accept shows that would be coming from like a dispensational perspective, even, even like a John MacArthur Calvinist dispensationalist perspective or a new covenant theology, which would be someone like a Tom Schreiner um, or a little bit like a John Piper. Um, so we would typically, we would have someone who's in the, the 1689 uh, tradition or the um, continental or Presbyterian tradition. Uh, and then uh, the last piece, we would just want you to be a Protestant. Um, so we would, you know, five solas, five, five points of Calvinism. We intentionally didn't tie it to kind of the confessional rubric because uh, we think that, I think that that bar can be a little bit too high for people who are confessional, but aren't quite ready to uh, ascribe to every point, every jot and tittle of the confession. Right. Um, because what I found, what I found in the reform pub, when I was, when I was the admin in there, a lot of people would come in there and say they're confessional. And, and until you start to dig a little bit, they don't, they don't realize they, they haven't even read the whole confession or they haven't even read a, a whole catechism. And so in a lot of ways, I think this is something maybe 
wise for us as confessional people to think about is when you're having a discussion with someone, sometimes you got to give them a way to save a little bit of face. And so allowing people to say they're confessional and that they, they believe and, and support a confession, even though they may not fully understand what that means, allows them to engage in the conversation, to, to move forward in that theology. Um, you know, most people would never have any idea until they, they, get, they get slammed in the face by it, by some old staunch, cranky Presbyterian like me, uh, that you're not supposed to make pictures of Jesus. Like you would never encounter that through a casual read of the Bible, you probably would not come to that conclusion without some really deep study. Um, and so, so giving people that flexibility as they're coming into the network, as they're promulgating the theology that they, they you know, they're, they're teaching on their show uh, was something that was important to us. And I think it's allowed us to bring shows in that are confessional uh, in, in spirit and maybe have a couple things that they're not there. Um, so that's not part of our, our requirements, but the goal is just to get good reform theology in the ears of people who want to hear it is really as simple as that. You're, you're, you're bringing back the memory I had a few years ago where my wife suddenly walked into our kitchen and said, Hey, so what's a two CV? And, uh, <laughs> and so she, uh, she was learning about the, the finding children's resources without, yes. without the pictures of Jesus. And so, yeah, that's great. Well, tell us a few of the, you can, you can talk about shows in general, or even a few episodes about some subjects that you might think would be helpful to someone. Uh, you know, we're always just trying to broaden, broaden horizons for ourselves, Michael yeah. and I, with the interviews we're doing and the people who uh, listen with us. Yeah. Um, I mean, on our network, we have this huge variety of shows and I think it's really hard, especially once a show gets a little bit more longstanding to go back and listen to the entire back catalog. Um, Jesse and I have done shows on, Things like the second commandment, um, which, which is a really interesting situation. Cause when we first started talking about that, Jesse had not come to those convictions yet. Um, so you, you get to sort of see him wrestle through that in real time. Um, we've done shows on sort of reformed soteriology very early on. We did a, a series, um, kind of through all of the main points of systematic theology, which is, is kind of like the default thing that new reform shows do. Um, We've done episodes on um, sort of current controversies. One of the big ones we, we come back to time and time again is the e function, uh, e eternal functional subordination controversy. Um, that's a mouthful, but it, it's a, a view that is extremely prominent among new Calvinists um, mm -hmm. because of how influential people like Wayne Grudem, um, John Piper, not to so much of a degree, he's a little bit less clear on, on where he stands on that controversy than others. But um, because of the prominence of the ESV translation, uh, the ESV study Bible, and then Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, the, the EFS controversy is something that's really prominent among young, young reform restless Christians. So we've done episodes on that. Um, and then uh, one of our main things we talk about a lot is just, just kind of classic Christian Trinitarian and, and Christological theology. Because the other thing that happens with uh, kind of new Calvinists they come in and all of a sudden they learn about the doctrines of grace, uh, you know, the so-called doctrines of grace, the five points of tulip. Um, and, and that's all there is. That's all they study. Right. That's all they read is the five points of, of Calvinism. And that becomes everything. And, you know, th those are important. They're, they're confessional standards. I know that Dort, I, I understand Dort has six headings. I get it. But like those are important confessional commitments that re reformed Christians need to make. 
but they're way down on the list of important things to learn when you're coming in, you know, in terms of like the pathway of discipleship, you know, you're getting the Trinity, right. Uh, the, the idea of election doesn't make any sense unless you understand how the father, the son and the spirit have existed eternally. And, and so you go from things like Trinity that goes into Christology. And then you start to talk about the covenants. I mean, really like just follow the direction of the Westminster Catechism and the Westminster Confession. There's a logic there. So we've tried to do shows, um, maybe not so in, so much intentionally, but we've tried to do shows that bring people along that pathway. Hmm. And so we, you know, we try hard to reference the confessions. We try hard to, to make sure that we're grounding our thought in, um, or at least constraining our thought, maybe not grounding it, but constraining our thought by the classic reform sources that, that have been given to us. Um, and not always reform sources, you know, there's lots of great thinkers and, and theologians outside of the reform tradition. Um, and we should, we shouldn't just go, well, they don't have that, that reformed stamp on their forehead. So we should ignore everything they have to say, right? John Wesley got a lot of things wrong, but he got a lot of things right too. So we, we try hard to, to make things approachable, um, to make things, more like you'd have a, just a regular conversation with somebody about theology. It's funny because Jesse and I, uh, we're going to be doing an episode coming up that actually comes out of a conversation we had after we stopped recording. And I'm sure that happens on, on your show is you guys talk about stuff during the show. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you hit stop on the recording and your conversation continues. You go, we really should do a show about this. So, you know, we're trying to we're trying to approach things on the ground as they come. There's always something coming down the road. You know, our show has been dominated by reflections on coronavirus and, and the sixth commandment and the fifth commandment over the last year, um, you know, trying to understand how do we, how do we love our neighbors in the middle of a pandemic? What does that look like on the ground? What is, what's the reality of that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of great shows in the back catalog. Um, you know, I think um, Steady Anchor podcast, Luke is, he's been on your show. He's a sharp, sharp guy. Um, he, you know, he, he puts together these 30 minute, 45 minute episodes that are just these solo shows that are really, really good. Um, and that's hard to do, right? There's, there's, there's the, you know, three guys chatting about theology shows that are relatively easy to put together. Cause you just chat with your friends about theology, but putting right. together a show where you're the show and, and everything is coming out of your brain, um, and no safety net that that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, all the shows on the network are great. We're always looking for more shows. Um, I'll throw that out there. If you happen to have any listeners who are, yeah. are 1689 Baptists that want to come at it uh, from a real kind of technical academic perspective, um, you know, reach out to me. Uh, we're trying to foster not only existing shows, but new shows, um, people who want to start podcasts. Um, Cause like I said, I, I think in the history of the church, you know, you, you hear stories out of uh, the the three and four hundreds, right during the time of the Council of Nicaea, where uh, um, a person would walk up to a shop yep. to buy a loaf of bread or something, and the person behind the counter would say uh, "homoousius" or "homoousius," right, and, and that that kind Sorry. of stuff was really happening. And, and so the the idea that regular everyday layperson Christians should and can and must have theological conversations is something that I think our, our, our modern era has just lost. It's part of being a consumer driven culture. We want someone to just stuff our faces with stuff. We don't want to do any of the work ourselves. Um, but all throughout the history of the church, this has been a thing. And I think in our, our context, podcasting is really one of the ways that we do that is we have these conversations in public. These conversations drive other conversations all of a sudden, you know, it's crazy to me, but like I heard about one, one group that would play clips from the Reformed Brotherhood 
before their Sunday school class to sort of kick off the conversation about the, mm-hmm. about Micah that they were having, you know? So I, I don't, don't invest any teaching authority in what I have to say on a podcast, but um, these kinds of shows, these kinds of things really do start conversations that need to be had in the church that we haven't been having for a long time. I'm, I'm thankful that you came on. Uh, we've benefited from, you know, our conversations with, yeah. uh, various uh, folks from the Society of Reformed Podcasters. So we would recommend if you get a chance to go check that out, where where all should they look if they wanted to come check out what all the Society of Reformed Podcasters has? Yeah, so you can uh, check out the website, which uh, is really just a place to build a, a feed off of. But if you want to go and look at the, the shows and browse through it, um, it's Reformed Podcasts. Make sure you get that S on the end of there because Reformed Podcast is a weird site. Um, I've been trying to track down the person who owns that domain and, and purchase it from them, but I have not been able to locate them. Um, so make sure you get that. It's reformpodcasts.com. Um, you can check that out there. A better way to check out what we're doing at the Society of Reform Podcasters is to um, just look up Society of Reform Podcasters in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and, and subscribe to what we call the mega feed. Um, it can be a lot. So feel free to just swipe episodes away that you're not interested in. It's not going to hurt our feelings. Um, but that's the full feed of everything um, that's going on. It's, it's every episode that gets published by any of our shows um, gets pushed to that feed. Um, and you, you get the whole range of it. You get it, you know, almost every day we've got a show coming out. So if you you know, if you want to, um, if you want to load up on good reform, doctrinally sound podcasts, um, and you know, conversations that for the most part, you're not going to have to worry about your kids listening to, you know, we're all adults. So sometimes, um, you know, um, marital conversations come up in our shows. So, you know, we try to be, uh, aware of the fact that people listen with their kids and, and keep it, uh, PG 13, which is easy enough to do, but, um, yeah, it's a it's a great way I think to just get good content in your ears. Um, there's so many bad podcasts out there, and, and we like to think that we're providing good podcasts. So check it out. Um, you can also, um, I haven't been blogging a lot uh, lately, but if you go to placefortruth.org, we've got a couple articles up there. Um, I'm going to be doing a few more. Hopefully, going to be doing some book reviews there, um, and then also. Um, you know, check out, uh, I, I didn't mention it in my bio that I sent you, but um, I'm also a member and a treasurer for the uh, Evangelical Theological Society. And mm-hmm. one thing that I think, um, maybe to just sort of round this out, one thing that has happened um, as a response of Reformed people to new Calvinism, uh, like classic Reformed people, is we've sort of evacuated anything having to do with evangelicalism. And so uh, I found that you'll go to an ETS meeting and, and it's a lot of garbage. It's just a lot of terrible theology. And and Reformed theology has sort of left it to its own devices. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to be involved in my own local ETS chapter to then be able to sort of offer that as a corrective. And that, that goes all the way to being involved on the board so I can help when I see a paper that's really bad that wants to get presented. I can at least say I have some misgivings about this paper. Here's why. Um, right down to helping to select speakers, our regional. Hopefully we're able to do our meeting. We're bringing in Mike Horton. Um, and then also presenting papers. So so that's not somewhere you're going to find my content too much. I've never published with them or anything. But I would encourage everyone who's who's classically reformed to get back involved in some of these evangelical places because, you know, we, as I said earlier, if we're going to just leave them out in the garage, that's not a very loving thing to do. We, we've got this treasure that we, you know, 
the difference between reformed theology and evangelicalism is not the difference in the gospel, right? It's not like these people aren't saved, but it is the difference in saying these people could be experiencing a much more robust, much more sad soul satisfying version of Christianity. So I would say, get come involved on in, in come on, yeah, the come on the in. House. We got, we got lots of good food. We got, we got cake. There's uh, room for beer. the kids. There's a place to play. I mean, That's this, right. is, exactly. this is for the whole in. family. Yes. So, so check it out. Thanks again, Tony, for coming on the show. Please rate and review this show to help other people find it. If you want to find Tony or any of the other podcasts he mentioned, please check the show notes and we'll share them there. Until next time, see ya. But, Man, my wife uh, just brought me pizza, guys. How awesome is that? I right? saw that. Right? This interview. That's excellent. <laughs>